You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. <laughs> I'm John Doyle, and it's weird. We're welcoming ourselves <laughs> back to the Racking Focus Podcast after <laughs> a big break between weddings and college courses. So yeah. here we are. All right, we are here to see Dune today, and we've switched up our um, our local theater. Uh, we were we were getting a little tired of AMC and uh, their cleanliness and the fact that they flipped the lights on the second the movie ends, so you're stuck watching credits in broad daylight. And we're here at uh, Regal. We have switched companies completely, Regal. Uh, it was a much better viewing experience today, I think. I mean, we we have to do you know coin for coin essentially later we were in an IMAX theater today <laughs> as opposed to a regular theater but I anticipate that we certainly across the board the experience was was better for yes, sure yes all right well let's dive into Dune put your right hand in the box your mother bade you obey me the test is simple remove your hand from the box and you die it's in the box Pain. All right, so we're talking Dune, and uh, there are spoilers coming your way. As you just said, this is a novel that's been out for however long, and there was a movie yes, made. Yeah, it's the 1960s it came yeah, out. Yeah, so, um, and the, so yes. Right, the movie's if, from the 80s. and If you don't want to know anything because you're waiting to see the film, just go see the film. Uh, I think we'll both just say it's definitely that's worth it. seeing. That's it. That's it. Bye. Thanks that's for listening. Yeah. Go <laughs> see it in theaters. We'll catch you later. Um, wow. This was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that, that's our review. It's ridiculous. <laughs> See it in the theater. <laughs> Which could be, so I guess, interpreted in multiple ways here. Right. But, uh, I mean, we sat down in this IMAX seat, and you said if, if this is like the immersive mis- experience, right? right. Like there's, well, we were in row two. We were in row IMAX. two. I re- I'm sorry. I read the seating chart backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I thought row two was one of the furthest seats away. In fact, it was... It was the second. My second eyes closest. had the pan and scan. No constantly. joke, dude. Dude, at one point somebody pointed on screen, and both our heads did this. It, <laughs> they, we both looked left. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how big this screen is." Uh, but it, I mean, it's the IMAX screen that I want to watch an IMAX film on because there are some IMAX screens throughout, you know, our area that uh, title themselves as IMAX, and I have shown up, and I'm like, "This is not." IMAX right you know this is not this doesn't look like a 70 millimeter aspect ratio or whatever that aspect ratio is for for IMAX uh but this one this one truly is and like you said we had to scan the screen to see things it was great it was great I loved it my god uh so I'm not even sure where to start you know you said earlier that probably what's going to end up happening with this is we're going to end up talking about what makes it work yeah, uh, and I think that's part of it. But I'd like to first dive in and just talk a little bit about some things about the book itself. Yeah. Okay. So you've read the book. Have you right. read all of the Dune yeah, series? All of the Dune books, except for the like post Dune Dune books. There's okay. There's like a there's, like there's like a Dune. Tri- is it a trilogy? There's a trilogy, and then there's additional books. And at some point in there, I stopped. I anticipate okay. I might go back. Now what is the reason that they them. stopped? Do you remember? The reason I stopped? Well, I, gu- well, I, mean, I Frank guess Frank Herbert both. died, so that was the first reason. And I, that's what I was thinking. Was then, like, did Frank Herbert die, and then his son continued right, the books? Continued the books, and okay. I didn't read. Writing style um, probably changed a bit, and all ideas. And yeah, and, like and sort of the scope of what the story is sure. talking about. Gotcha. So, um, gotcha. I, uh, you know, I started reading Dune last year 
when this was originally supposed to release and then right. I found out it got delayed and I put the book down thinking that if I finish this book, there's no way I'm going to remember what, uh, what, what I read. And, uh, and then I meant to pick it back up before I watched this and I never, I never did. So the fact that this is only part one of this is what, what half of the book, half it's of the first book, about half of the first book, I will likely pick up this book before the second part and, uh, and just keep reading and, and, the thing I would say most clearly and what I wanted to sort of point out is I don't think reading the book and knowing what's happening has any impact on the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I wasn't, there, there isn't suspense. The movie isn't playing on the suspense of what's going to happen next. It's more, right. You were taking this journey. There's a different, character. there's a different mystery. It's like, this is like an identity mystery film, right? right. Like this is about Paul's identity and, who he is and who he's going to become and he can kind of see his future but he can't see it clearly and it's just question i mean we even get this whole scene with um his father telling him like if this is uh you know if 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 you choose this then essentially great but if you don't like you've already done everything i've asked you to do which is being my son it's like hopefully you'll find your way to becoming you know who who you're supposed to be yeah, Leto Atreides is one of the like great fathers of fiction, maybe, yeah. uh, and certainly you know one of those figures that we can see as a precursor to those heroic figures we have admired in so many other fantasy novels, mm. and I think of Game of Thrones in particular, where there's sort of those figures that stand out above uh, the rest of the the sort of world that they live in, and he's a special yeah. character. Um, and, uh, but, but I, I, what I wanted to say just was that don't, don't hesitate to read the, the book. Like these, any spoiler we say doesn't damage yeah, me, right. the storytelling or where it's going. Um, well, and, and even just to give an example of this too, is, you know, I, in the book, I read up to a little bit past the, uh, uh the Gob Jabbar right. scene. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that scene pretty clearly from reading the book and my anxiety when watching that scene was so heightened not knowing like i could feel the fear right that he was feeling uh and it's just good filmmaking the way he shot and edited and paced that entire scene but it's it's the truth well i think that that's one of those things that that just completely stands out Mm -hmm. is the cleverness of editing in a way that uh, made the um that made things you needed to feel emotion about be directed by another character who we're seeing in the edit yeah so like we're seeing jessica during that yeah um that test and as he's experiencing pain and we're watching him her fear and her emotion is what we're driving on yeah we she becomes the audience with us in a way and that happens more than once and it's the i think a great it happens ultimately with duncan Idaho too Mm -hmm. where in the books we don't know as much as we seem to know here and um that really is powerful by editing a piece to allow us to experiencing something emotionally that the book would not let you have because we need to be surprised or we need to be in the unknown. Yes. Yeah. uh, It was, I mean, yeah. So anyway, just to say what you said, the the book hasn't had, didn't have any impact on me. Uh, Reading like I knew about the betrayal. I knew like about all of those things and it didn't have any impact on me viewing the the film. Uh, so I'm excited to read. I'm excited to read the, the rest of this book whenever that happens. And I hope to dear God, I can't imagine it won't, but I hope that they let him 
continue this series. Like. Well, I think the ballsiest thing you can ever do is in a movie that isn't already shooting part two in the title card, put uh, part one. Part one, yeah. <laughs> there, there were audible gasps in the theater. When, when, that, when the part one popped up, yeah. One popped up, Knowing that, that this was a two hour and 35 minute film. I know, film. exactly. Yeah, and, and I will talk about in a second why this has to be broken into two parts, I think. Uh, we'll talk about that during this episode, but... Um, well, there's already stuff missing, right? So, like, in the oh, novel, yeah. There's, yeah. there's blocks of interesting material that's missing, and yet it still lasts as long as it does. And, you know, this is a director that understands how to pace things, both for energy and in that sort of, yeah. and I don't want to say methodical, but in that much more focused, slower pace. Oh, dude, I mean, I can, I can fully see... You know, I, well, the last film that he did, right, was I think it was Blade Runner 2049. And you can I can see the effects of, you know, what he learned on Blade Runner 2049 translating completely to this film. I mean, in, in Blade Runner, both the original and this, there are just shots of cityscapes and things happening and uh, moments. And it's just setting atmosphere and tone. And you know, both Blade Runners do that, and Blade Runner 2049 certainly does that with like almost a three-hour runtime. And uh, it takes its time. It tells the story. It provides an atmosphere. It lets you it, it feel the moment, and the you can almost feel like the air and the atmosphere of the space. And he does that here again with shots of like just sand and shots of machines being lifted by like ultra balloon, right? Air balloon. I don't like massive stuff like on a huge scale uh and to to shots of like walls and architecture and things like he's he's just he's just painting scenery and painting uh just background and i mean it's what it's what an author would do in a book right is he would describe or they would describe what the space is like and we're able to be immersed into this into uh, this world with with just beautiful shots and imagery of of what's happening and it it's not even just imagery it's it's sensory too because you're getting the audio you're getting like feeling from it so that's i mean that's why it's i mean he could have just right out the gate just have gone and skipped all of that and it probably would have been all at least 15 minutes shorter yeah but he takes his time and and some of that is just about and you said a word in the middle of that statement i think that is the is like absolutely the overwhelming experience is scale right mm -hmm. now we saw it in IMAX so the scale is extra yeah large and I think that it's really appropriate to, for, for us to have seen it there and, and I'm gonna watch it now on HBO yes yeah. as a second viewing which I would say to people like that's a path to go HBO second go to the theater first go to the theater first yeah um, it, this this it, deserves to be seen on the big screen and it needs to be get the money to so they can make a second one yeah but the you know the idea that Every the scale is so large, the the machines, the ships, everything is at the scope it needs to be yeah. to be this sort of level of fantasy. And I think you know in Star Wars, um, there's big things, mm. but those big things all end up being oh, people man. size, yeah, right? Yeah. Like the people become the large item in the shot. So because that is a story about these characters, like people who are in this big world, but here it's a big world and our characters need to grow to it in a way. Right. And so there is, I mean, there's that moment there's this, when that ship yeah. lands at the very beginning with mm -hmm. the emissary. Yes. And that gate drops Oh my down. goodness. 
it was extraordinary to look at. I look, and you you mentioned Star Wars, and I, I it's I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt today, and uh, you know I thought of Star Wars in the middle of watching this film, a is specifically in that scene because I've seen ships land in Star Wars, you know, a hundred times over. You know, ships are just always landing, whether it's in the animated series or in the original, whatever. It's in all of the films. There's always a ship landing. But never has a ship landed and carried so much weight no, and, and density. And, like, I, I was overwhelmed at the thought of, like, this ship. Like, this is something somebody built or people built in this world. And, like, it, it had, like, a... This was a real item to me right. in the film. Whereas, like, a Star Destroyer in Star Wars... it's I never feel, like, a tangible connection with it because it's just this thing that exists. But this one felt... These ships in this film felt crafted by people and i no it was just it was incredible but and it also reminded me of arrival um like his ships denny's ships the way he (laughs) and maybe in in uh blade runner has ships as well but not in this not to this scale right right? it's just like flying cars but um arrival that that ship and arrival you know came back to me in the middle of this film too of just being this massive thing that just holds so much weight uh, you can definitely see his previous films like mm-hmm. all culminating into this, into this film here. And that doesn't preclude the fact that there's really good acting and there, the, the use of those like really shallow focused close-ups in this are just absolutely beautiful. And the actors are working well within that space. Yeah. So we, we do get pretty clean, uh, emotional beats in these extraordinarily tight close-ups with no world around it. There's the scene with um, uh, Paul and his father mm-hmm. where we're flipping back and forth sort of close-up to close-up, and they could be anywhere because yeah. it's about the two of them. And yeah. So it isn't about the world then. It's about this relationship, and by using that that shallow focus as a choice to let the humans be gigantic in scale but also intimate, and then mm-hmm. to throw them into these worlds where they're just dwarfed by oh yeah technology. I mean, there's there's a shot where uh, we're still on Kaladin and Paul is watching ships take off over the water, and he just we watch him watch these ships right. for like a minute, and he's in the foreground completely blurred out, and there's just these huge ships looming in the distance, and they're far away, and they're still big, mm-hmm. and he's pretty he's filling a lot of the frame. I feel like it, Paul is, but. It's just this. It's a beautiful shot, but it's he, he just spends time, you know, shooting these transition moments uh, to show us how how small these people are in this world and how much culture and texture and everything this world has. Yeah, there's so there's so much detail. Um, th- th- it's extraordinary, and even down to the mouse, right? Like down we, to the mouse, we end yeah. up to the mouse, which is an important figure for the story, and. Th- that mouse, as small as it is, is clear, detailed. There's no wasted space. There's an extreme close-up of the sweat on his ears. I know, it's like, so smart. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Which again, will just it'll just it does a lot of importance in that shot, even just from like the water that mm-hmm. is coming from that small of a creature, right? Um, and then we get a call, not a callback, but we get another shot of uh, these mice being born, or in like this womb thing, right? In in the cave. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, I need to see it again and again to really, because I, I can't remember everything. I can't. Well, it's it's huge, it's, right? Yeah. Um, the 
I will say that uh, th- the things that are missing from the story do not damage the flow of the plot or any any of those things. And I know that there's going to be like Dune fanatics who yeah. maybe have some issues, but this reminds me so much of the way Peter Jackson told the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That it, although there are differences, it feels like the book I read. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and that's fantastic. This the work that's done in the desert is just extraordinary. The fighting sequences are fantastic, uh, and a lovely mixture of moving cameras and still cameras, so we can see action. Oh, you know how I feel I about. Know. And look, that I have a hard time watching shaky action on a big screen, and I'm a little more forgiving of the shaky cam when it's on like a TV. And I mean, we're watching on the biggest screen that is in this area for sure. And uh, I never once felt disoriented by the fight choreography no, or the, the camera movements and everything like that. And if I'm, I mean, <laughs> like we said before, we have to turn our heads to see the whole screen. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to do that once for the fight choreography and the and the fight scenes. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, there's too much to say about there. There is a lot. I, I, I let's just jump around a little bit. The yeah. Music was. Freaking fantastic! <laughs> Hans Zimmer like outdid himself. Yeah, for sure. Certainly, you can tell in in a lot of ways it's a Hans Zimmer score, but yeah. It, it, but you know, you play Hans Zimmer to his strengths, right? For a right. film like this, right? Like you you're like I I want a Hans Zimmer sound, so I'm going to go to Hans Zimmer. I'm not going to try and get some other guy to recreate this vibe that you know Hans Zimmer right. can bring. So yeah, he was probably the right guy to to hire for this. Yeah, all of that bass just. Yeah. And and the rhythmic sound and the clear distinction between like different worlds musically and yet all yeah. sitting in the same uh, big galaxy or universe really incredible. Um, I also was really pleased with the Harkonnen imagery, mm-hmm. which in the earlier film is so vulgarly presented, and here was done in a way that was disturbing and yeah. leaned into what the films angry about right like mm. or the what the story is unhappy about about them right. they are cruel like truly cruel yeah um and and vulgar and gross uh oh man Stellan Skarsgård is just like this he is this oh my god he's so gross looking and uh his even just there was this shocking moment where he stood up in the at the table mm-hmm. and he rose about what 15 feet 20 feet higher than what he actually is uh, right, because he's not actually twenty feet tall. Right, there's some right. It's, he has these because he's so heavy. heavy. He has yeah, these, he's like, levitation things. Yeah, on him, right. And uh, his robe falls all the way, like twenty feet long, and the way, even just the movement, like that, Denny designated for that character to ghostly float across the room, like it. That's on. It's it's haunting. Yeah. And then to go into tight close-ups for the dialogue mm-hmm. he needs yeah. uh, with the doctor and with uh, Leto, like there, it's that really clever way of making good films that have to be this big mm-hmm. that you don't you you let the big things be extraordinarily large, and then you go into tight close-ups and you go into. Uh, yeah. you know, really intimate macro shots yeah. that give the audience intimacy so that we don't lose ourselves in that scale. Yeah, Den- Denny kind of, he kind of sets the scene right in these big, wide epics, landscapes and, and scenery, I mean, even just that same scene. I mean, we start with a, f- like, insanely wide shot of this mm. table, right, with 
with Baron sitting on one end and the Duke sitting on the other naked. Right. It, I'm like watching, I'm look, looking at a Renaissance painting. Right. Except set in, in uh, you know, 10,000 years into the future. And it's just, it's an overwhelming thing to look at. And uh, then he punches in a little bit closer on the Duke and then he punches in even closer on the Duke. And then it, you know, it's just. Well, then we watch. You know, Harkonnen eating that whatever it was. Look, yeah, and chicken. if you want to go right back to to Lord of the Rings here, that reminded me of uh, you know when Denethor is eating, right? And and Billy Boyd is singing this, uh, Pippin is singing this song. Yeah. If you want, if you want to make an audience hate somebody immediately, make them eat loudly and grossly, <laughs> and you will hundred percent make the audience hate that person. <laughs> it, it was it's so disgusting. So Steph, my wife, would be so grossed out. She she gets grossed out at that crap. So. Yeah, it, I mean the film is just beautiful. Greg Fraser's cinematography. I mean, the, we were so we were watching previews, right? And uh, the Batman, I'm really looking forward to seeing. And the, and previews come on for this. I'm like, man, this cinematography looks unbelievable. <laughs> like I can't believe that one a movie looks this insanely cool, and that it's Batman. Because I mean, I, like the Dark Knight was great, and. Uh, all of that looked great. Wally Fister cinematography for that beautiful. All that. This is like Greg Fraser cinematography for the Batman, which I didn't know he did until I looked it up just right. now. I'm like, this man, you're giving Roger Deakins a run for his money for me here because I love Roger Deakins, but Greg Fraser is blowing it out of the water right now, and uh, the work is gorgeous. But it's not just gorgeous; it like it drives story and and makes you feel like the way the characters are feeling and like. You feel this vastness of the uh, of the the desert and the like the sea of sand, um, and the contrast between the desert planet and like this water planet. Right, just Calden, like, that was oh my incredible. god, the complete difference in color and lighting and uh, tone and feeling and everything, and even down to like the darkness of their enclosure within within uh, Iraqis, like they're they're like the bedrooms in there because everything is just shut out from light. Right. And like just the darkness of that. Um, oh man, it was just unbelievable yeah, and watching this. And, and there's film grain all over the oh place. Oh my gosh. And there's something to be said about that, how, how grain can make images yeah. richer. And, yeah. and I, I really appreciated seeing the the use of like stock like the way film stock looks on a screen yeah really i'm assuming they shot this on film I, uh, there's a lot of processing names at the yeah, back end I, of this. there's no they way of knowing up, i guess but they <laughs> i mean there's a lot of processing information yeah. on the back end of the credits there was all this <sighs> seems yeah it's it just seems crazy to it shoot was. a film at this scale on on film nowadays right when you when you have all these film emulations or you know Alexa minis and like all this stuff that you can use to to just digitally process and fake the film stock, right? Right. But I mean, look, if you want people to feel, feel that organic nature that, I mean, this film is very, even though it is this sci-fi futuristic film, like there is so much organic nature to it from sand to water mm. to right. the grass, the rain, like all of this stuff, like a lot of this is he is talking about environmental issues you know um he's ta he's there's a lot of there's a lot of underlying meaning about the earth and the world and like what how you know imperialism and large corporations just deciding to harvest things you know for money like like there's a lot of that talk so 
I mean, the organic nature of, of film stock, it really made you feel that a little bit more. And the grain was beautiful, too. The grain was beautiful. Oh and so if it was digital and they added the grain, which yeah. whatever way, it still was thoughtful part of what makes the image as strong as it is. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it's really quite beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it'll be... It'll be a film that it, the cinematography is dissected and copied and mimicked and, um, yeah, for for decades I think like this the cinematography is just unbelievable. Um, yeah, you come out onto Arrakis in that scene where they first land. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And the it it you're you I mean, can feel the heat through the image the heat, right like right, through, right exactly. It's it's like it's just ridiculous. So. I well, hope that he has some like, recognition because right? it that. wasn't actors ducking. It isn't some no, crazy physical thing because right. they're they're standing up to it, right? So it has to all be done by the environmental impact of light yeah. and wind uh, and yeah. I need to be able to feel the heat from yeah. the shot. I need to be able to feel the wind from the shot. I need to be able to feel like what it's like there from the imagery um, and using all the rain earlier on. Yeah, is I mean those things help us to experience that distinction. Yeah, that contrast is is uh very apparent for sure uh yeah beautiful film i mean i, I want to watch it a hundred times over just for the cinematography <laughs> alone i mean you can take stills all day from this image and right. it's just it's just painting after painting uh it's it's unreal one hands or hats off rather to the uh the special effects crew. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. integrating the what are real images and the created images. Yeah. Um, and then again, as you said, making those creative Im images feel built is yeah is quite an accomplishment. Well, and I'm wondering too, like how much of this is is VFX? How much of this is them taking you know a page out of Star Wars and doing like miniature practicals? Right. You know how much of this is uh, is actual real tangible stuff that they're you know, physically blowing up or things of that nature, right? And, uh, I, I mean, yeah. And, and yeah, the cinematography is gorgeous, but, you know, the blocking as well, like all of that, you know, to be able to put people in space and, you know, have uh, people change powers, like in the space, in blocking, mm -hmm. like you can see who's in charge, who's winning each scene just from the blocking alone. Um, just everything is just... Well, it's purposeful, right? Yeah. And that's what makes yeah. a film good. And this kind of giant epic mm -hmm. is such a high-risk proposition. Yeah. I mean, Dune is not an action-packed story. And no, no, no. The, what we watched to, in this first epi episode of it, or first part, <laughs> I guess, yeah. is is not a big win, right? Like, And Dune right. is complex as a trilogy from beginning to end. Like. There's tons of victories in the Lord of the Rings. There's victories in Star Wars. There, there doesn't feel like victories here. There's survival. It's a, it's a different yeah. mode. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and it's a different type of storytelling, right? Like, cause, cause, I mean, you know me. Like, we'll talk all day about. Okay, this is when they broke into Act Two. Here's midpoint. Here's, a, I could not follow, when the beats. This is not a stereotypical, you know, save the cat beat sheet right. story structure here. There is. It is nuanced. It is subtle when they shift. It, there is no telling when something is going to happen. Um, I certainly did not think that they were going to be attacked and the entire place was... Because I didn't finish reading the book. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't suspect that the entire place was going to be blown to bits. Uh, but, it, you know, hindsight, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You have to force your main character, your protagonist, out into... Even if you're following a hero's journey... Right. story structure which i'm imagining this is 
just inverted a little bit and things are shifted, you have to push your character, you know, into the unknown here. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what they did with that scene. Right. But that comes like an hour and a half into the film, which normally takes place in 25 minutes. Right. So, well, and what I love about that too, is that, um, Leto gets this great line. Oscar Isaac says, mm -hmm. I thought we'd have more time. Right. Yeah. Which is like book driven right mm -hmm. that's the same idea but in the book there's there's stuff that was taken out of there right so right. like there's a big dinner scene that doesn't exist in here right right and, and in a way from an audience member as i'm watching and i know the book my brain's like yeah i, I thought we were going to have more time but we don't because we can't and so for me mm. i don't think that attack's happening when it does either because right. i think there's more material to be had yeah, yeah yeah and so by slicing that stuff out as a storyteller you remove material that doesn't necessarily help and you repurpose it, right? So right. we saw what happens in that dinner to some extent in other places. And there's a subplot about Jessica being untrustworthy that's mm -hmm. excised completely. Right. But those, the importance of that is it keeps me off my toes. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, wow, we're, we're here already. Right. And, and then suddenly I feel lost, which I didn't, I don't expect to because I know what's going to happen. Right, right, and right. That's really good filmmaking, and you know, or good adaptation, right? Like it's yeah. taking the story and moving it from one uh, format to another, and by doing that, providing the same kind of audience experience that a person who read the book would have had. Yeah, it, it's subverting your expectation, right? Because they he has to assume that there's going to be both people who have read and have not read the book, and he's got to please both of them. So how does he do that? He just right. cuts things that you're expecting to see. And uh, we'll just go right into the meat and into the action. And, and as a result, you get shocked. It's the same thing with the, you know, the poison air and the tooth. Mm -hmm. That scene, I know what happens. And yet there was still intense suspense. Yeah. Um, because he blocked it and played it in a way that allowed me to not be sure where we were going to go. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've... I haven't watched all of Denny's films, but the ones that I have, he time and time again just proves just how good of a director he is. Um, and I mean, at this point, I'll pretty much watch anything that he does. Uh, and he's he's a master. He's master at suspense. Like he is masterful at it from Prisoners to Sicario to, you know, both. I mean, those both of those are the ones that really come to mind uh, when it comes to, to suspense. But he's so good at it. He'll have you on the edge of your seat. And uh, he certainly does it in this. And like you said, there's not a lot of action in here. So I'm like, I'm being entertained uh, almost strictly from an acting perspective and a visual perspective. And I'm not, you know, there's not a lot of fighting. So like, what do you do? It's just two people talking or a bunch of people talking to each other. Well, but there's it, mystery and suspense. Right. And like, what am I, what is, I need to know what's going to happen. I want to watch what. What is this Benny Jesuit stuff? I don't even know if I said that right because I don't know. It, that's correct. It, it goes it goes by so fast over your head, and they there's no pandering to like the audience either. Like he wants a smart audience to watch the film. Right. Um, otherwise, there would be a massive expedition exposition dump constantly, well, and there's not. And he cleverly does it right. Like we're learning while Paul's learning, so yeah. he uses those like video books. Yeah, it never feels like he has to explain anything to right. me. He's just kind of seeding things for later on. Otherwise, like, if if we see Paul just mention casually that the, the Freeman walk like, the Freeman walk like this on the sand, like, we'd be like, well, where the heck did he learn this? Well, we, we saw that he learned it in this, right. in this video book. So, 
Um, well, and yeah. the other thing I love, I love the fact that nothing is in English letters, that everything they're reading mm-hmm. is in a language that is in the future. Right. In a way, like a great fantasy novel, when you make the decision to build the, an entire language, whether it's, you know, yeah. Dothraki or it's Klingon or whatever, right. like you build a full language, uh, there that language exists in all the texts. And we see people reading, we see people having books, we see these heavily Islamic sort of sensibility to some of what the action that they're doing, which yeah. is really important because that, that does lean back into the language of the original book. And yet those texts are there. And when they speak in a foreign language, we get subtitles, but we don't know what's in those books. Yeah. But those books look real yeah there's real language there and that's fantastic yeah well and even the use of um non-verbal language right of of hand motions and so good all of that like language is a big big top i mean i'm sure there's there could be a video breaking down language in this film like right. just on youtube somewhere for 15 minutes they could just talk about the language used and the uh audible and non-audible use of that uh yeah the i mean there's just there's too much to say it's just too well, much to say. And, well, let's just talk briefly about acting because this is a panorama of yeah. great actors. Yeah. yeah so, sure. anyone you want to spotlight or talk about? Well, I had to first say that Zendaya was in this film much less than I expected her to be. Right, because she's going to be all over, over the part, part two. two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and interesting. They, the way they use her as a path through the film is really useful mm-hmm. since we're going to need to know her. Yeah, and ultimately we she would have given like three looks to us right, right. if she wasn't doing another work. Right, she, and she would have felt like a completely new character in part two if right. she didn't appear in these flash forwards or these visions, right? Um, and so, but you can't, I couldn't trust her in the visions enough because I don't know how Paul sees things, right? And he's even mentioned that he doesn't see things the way that exactly how they turn out so you could never trust his vision right so he sort of sees possible futures or or paths in the future yeah and he also definitively isn't sure what he's seeing yeah there are times though where i i said this is clearly foreshadowing for what's going to happen right the duncan idaho for example right he's one of those where i'm like no he's he's done at some point in this film um but it may not be in the way i foresee it Right. right um or i was told that paul foresees it uh, which it wasn't. It was a it was a mix of, you know, what he saw and and what actually happened. But um, yeah, Zendaya was in the film much less than I anticipated. But the way she was utilized in the film was was great, and uh, I'm excited to see more of her. Hopefully, in part two, whenever that releases, in probably 2027 or whatever it takes oh, for them gracious. to re- make these films. To so note, uh, there's two other novels coming out after it. We have a big crowd. Yeah, I don't havoc. know. I don't know what's Nearby. going on in front of us. You know, it's positive. It's a positive yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, I want to say Oscar Isaac was spectacular in the role, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and really landed that part in uh, the way that Bean does in Game of Thrones, where yeah, the like Ned Stark father figure right, sort of thing. Like yeah, he, he really does land it, and the he, father you look up to and you want to uh, honor, I guess, and how you're living your life. And who isn't political only, who right. is about justice, about some truth. Yeah. And yet still, I love the military room that when mm-hmm. they're doing sort of the planning meeting, it is such a great yeah. character-driven scene, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, you get, there's so many aspects um, that are revealed of his character 
through dialogue, through his decisions, whether it's it's not taking the man's resignation after Paul is, uh, right. a, a, you know, his murder was attempted, um, you know, to I don't, just there's just to, to even just sacrificing himself, you know, well, to try and take the Baron out. All you know, of like the, that's the last choice. All you of have. the physical contact, the small hand mm. gestures, the pat on the back, all of those things mm -hmm. done in camera, but not as the focus of the shot, right? Mm -hmm. Which is where the where directing is really playing a role. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, we 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 see yeah. the contact, but we don't. It isn't given weight right. as its own thing. It's simply part of who he is, and that mm -hmm. that's great. I mean, it's yeah, and and his relationship changes based on who he's with, right? You right. know, he and he acts as both a stern father and a, and a loving father, right? right? You know, tells Paul like you cannot like do not do this again after Paul's vision um, before the sand after the sandworm almost mm -hmm. gets them right like you see both like a father who's disciplining and uh, and one who's loving so yeah he crushed it Oscar Isaac crushed it for sure um, I think Josh Brolin did a really nice job with uh, yeah what is a uh, a part that's going to be more important mm -hmm. um, and he he carries himself so well yeah and he played a great sort of foil to what uh momo was doing with idaho right yeah. so like it's great to see that very stern yeah. very powerful super competent figure yes right right yeah because they, their their roles felt um very similar in, in like the uh whatever job they had you know but you have one that's more of a friend and one that's more of like a boss almost, right? Right, right. Um, one very loving, tough love and uh, one who's, who's just a pal. So um, Momoa was great too. I mean, there's, there's not a single person in this film that I can say was like, ah, you were a little bit off your game here. You know, everybody was, everybody was, everybody was great to, to Rebecca Ferguson, you know, all the way down to the uh, Dr. Yue, right? Like who's, I've never seen that actor before, but. Um, I have to say though, I, I I almost didn't recognize Javier Bardem. No, I was gonna say, talk about great makeup. Yeah, I I there was multiple times where I was like, I think this is Javier, and then I said, no, I don't I don't think that's him. And then he talks. And then he talks again. I was like, no, it's it's <laughs> Javier. And uh, thankfully, on the I was waiting for the credits because I, I was gonna be shocked if it wasn't, but I also wouldn't have been shocked if it if it wasn't. So. Uh, Man, yeah, he yep. he killed it too for the I'm so five minutes of screen time. I'm so excited about the opportunity to watch these people move into the next story too. So that's one of the things. Yeah, they have these great actors who are going to be present for, you know, the second half of this first book. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm 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 I am really enthusiastic about watching them continue to work. Rebecca Ferguson is just hits it out of the park, yeah, like, completely in both stunningly beautiful and. Uh, and yet human and natural, right? Right. They, they let her not be um, glamorous, right? You know, yeah. And yeah. and those choices are choices that drive story and drive character and give us real world items. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know if we even need to mention Timothy Chalamet because he just does a good job in you know pretty much anything I see him yeah. in. And uh, yeah, I mean, he really carries this. Um, this aura of Paul, like who Paul is, like from the books, from just reading like a little bit of the book, like it just makes sense that this guy, this actor is, is Paul. Like it's hard for me to, I, who else do I picture? Like, you know, I don't know what you pictured when you read the books, but 
Um, I, I think he's great, and I love. I mean, I, I think it's hilarious how often his hair is in front of his eyes, but it's, <laughs> it is really he really does nail it. Yeah. And so across the board, the acting's good, and those actors then blocked well in beautifully framed <laughs> yep. shots that are in magnificent costuming. In magnificent too, we haven't even, didn't even talk about the costume work. Like, just all of it, all of it is just is just amazing. Um, I mean, the the difference in this military get up to the wild nature of the the fremens right like right. this these na- natural people living on this planet who have to just use these body suits essentially that are recycling water like um and all oh, what another great thing right like the the way the suit works like I don't, there's just the creativity is well and the cool thing is right those still suits look like what i need them to look like yeah. from from yeah. the book but we also did get the the I mean, he uses the reticence we have about spit and mm-hmm. about the fact that it's recycled water. He lets the characters feel that, or he lets us see things like when the folks are spitting in the pot yeah. before the Sadukar arrive in that uh, environmental zone or whatever it was, right, that, right. That, that check station. Yeah. That really, really gives us a sense of our aversion to that. Right. And that's important for us to understand what it means to survive, right? Right. Um, I remember when I read the books, that was something I constantly sort of thought about is the idea of your own recycled water and your own recycled water and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and they played it out so that I had a visceral response to that. Yeah, your own recycled water is just a lot of, a lot of it, your spit and uh, it's urine. It's and sweat. urine and it's, it's I, there was an article that was going around like yesterday or two days ago that I saw. I didn't read the article, just the headline was like, Yes, they did take dumps in their suits. Like they, they had to. Like that must have been the only way. Like I don't know. I'm on, I don't know if I bought into that. But yeah, I mean, you got you got to take a leak in your suit. Like that's going to be recycled. It's recycled water. Every little bit of, you know, H two O or anything that can be pulled from anything is. I mean, even when they're hiding under the sand, right? Like that is recycling their air and the humidity from beneath that that we'll talk about a great tent, like and that as far as i remember that's not in the book when paul says here have a drink it's our recycled sweat and sweat tears. and tears yeah oh and, <laughs> and they we could see their sweat all through that sequence yeah there is a beat that doesn't get played out that's interesting at the end after he kills Jamis in the books mm-hmm. he cries Mm. And there's a line about he sheds a tear, he sheds it's his water, water for this other person, but he does cry in the scene. Mm. Just no one makes a fuss about it. And I love that, that. That's it. Like there's so many detailed touches. Yeah, all of the detail in the costuming on the Benny Gesserit uh, faces, the Jessica's face, and yeah. on the Reverend Mother's face. Like those, the detail of that work is very specific and quite beautiful. Yeah, and feels lived in. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Everything doesn't feel like it was just made for the film. Everything feels lived in for sure. It's like the the stormtrooper outfit, as iconic as it is, does not feel like it's something people really. Want oh to no. Well, right. and it's not, and they're not protective in any way whatsoever. And it's just because the empire just wants the sea of white people. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just there's a sea of white. Doesn't we'll lose a hundred thousand of them in a day, and there'll be two hundred thousand of them the next right. day. But in this case, in this film, it's. There, I don't. We don't know how many Fremen there are, and there's a. They all look like they've been living in the desert for about a hundred thousand years, right? And they know the desert, and which we clearly see the difference mm-hmm. between, uh, you know, these newbies on these outworlders, 
uh, versus the people who live there. Um, and there's plants growing down in uh, yeah, this is really interesting. Duncan, Idaho discovers some plants that are right. gro- growing down there's there. A whole they don't lot. talk about any of that. They just let us see it. So, so there's a, I just heard a, a piece uh, about Frank Herbert on a podcast I listened to mm-hmm. called Imaginary Worlds talking about the fact that he's not as much the environmentalist we would think he is today. Hmm. That he's a, an environmentalist from the 60s who thought about it, it is that the conversation is whether we are saving the environment for the environment's sake or we're saving it for our use. Gotcha. And he was the person who believed that we were saving Same. the environment for our use. That's what I thought you were going to um, say. Yeah. And the, that idea of transforming Arrakis into a paradise right. is a problematic solution for our environmentalism today. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and the book questions that, and we'll I'll see where all that goes, hmm. but um, the, it is... It's exciting to uh, explore it, the environmental questions without just being handed an answer. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, and, it makes us have to think about it on our own. So uh, let's, before we go, because I know we're going to run out of, you know, capacity to talk about this. Yeah. Well, we're um, just going to start repeating stuff. Uh, right? Let's just talk about sandworms for a moment okay. or two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah, uh, great. If sandworms and, Ornithopters. There are two things that I think. Ornithopters. Yeah. Those. Are those the helicopter things? Yeah, the okay. hummingbird. The, I thought they were like dragonflies. Dragonflies. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. Really, really cool. So well constructed and designed. Yeah. Yeah. So spectacular. Yeah, it, it makes normal helicopters look really boring now. And silly and fascinating. Yeah. It's so interesting. And all of that sort of haptic sense yeah. of what was going on. But we have to go to sandworms. Very cool. And just hit the sand sandworms um oh, oh, okay <laughs> um suspenseful for sure did not know i mean you knew when they were going to pop up because they gave you the signs right and they explained like here's how this works um did not know that that sand thumper thing that idaho gave that's what that was used for in right. a way right to distract or to you know or to call or to call right. right um another cool tool right based around the world that we're living in uh, because of this threat, right? That right. It had to be created. Um, I thought this thing, I it did not. I did not expect that many teeth for some reason. Right. Uh, what did you think of them? I loved them, uh, but partly just because of the scale. I mean, they just really went for it. Yeah, they're huge. They're huge and terrifyingly large, and they they again have weight right they li- they, they really do weight. you can feel the weight of them well and and denny follows the you know kind of the jaws rule of you know it's scarier to not see them than it is to see them and so if you just see the um you know the equivalent to the the, the fin of the shark right? right the sand movement um there's more suspense in not seeing it and only seeing like pieces of it coming at you rather than the entire thing but we do get this satisfying thing at the end of seeing it out of the sand right um with all of its teeth bared and um which we saw before right with just the mouth open wide underneath the sand just kind of eating whatever is above it but you didn't get a sense of just how large this thing is well i think it's great when when well first of all the paul getting back onto the ornithopter is like a spectacular moment that after he's sort of been drugged by the spice, mm, we, mm-hmm. we do get some real suspense there, right? Yeah. And then Kynes, the moment where Kynes uses the thumper and she pulls out the hooks and that, the hook, I, it was such an exciting moment as a book reader yeah. to like, because I, 
I'd heard that there was no one riding worms in this film. Oh like, yeah, screw yeah. you. We're, there's not going to be any worm riding in this yeah. film. We do get that one little beat. Oh, okay, okay. So, so at the end, you have the them riding, that guy riding the worms, yes. that person riding the worms. I did not know when she pulled out those hooks what the heck well, that, those hooks were for. And so she was ready to ride that worm. She, she was, was going calling. to escape. So she had said, I'm, "I'm a fremen, and I'm I, the desert. The desert will do it, right?" Point. And so when she and so you know she's being chased, whatever she's going to make her escape. Uh, and that's a male oh, character okay. in the book, right? Kinds is really okay. yeah. Um, and you know, out go the the hooks. And it's one of those great moments that for you, it doesn't mean the same thing for me, but in both cases, yeah. it drives us forward with story, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, she was going to ride a worm to the next location. The next location she had to go. She was going to ride that worm Whoa. south. Um, Whoa. So they were flying through the storm, but they can't ride a worm because it is a high skill activity. Right. You can't like, like you know, like... Like yeah, you're diving yeah. out of a plane and, and you get someone else's parachute on yours. You're like grabbed <laughs> together and you like double your way down. You don't do that. It's really dangerous. So, but it, it tells us something about her. Like it's a great character moment. And it's a moment that for you now, now that, now that you know, someone can ride that, whatever, if, if you, we didn't have this conversation in the next part, it will echo back the right. level of heroism and, and power that she has and like how much, she's a part of that culture right super right. cool wow it's a great it's moment so that changes the way i view that scene now because knowing that she wasn't calling the worm to right kill them no. she was calling it to escape she was calling i thought escape. she was calling it to distract them from chasing down no, she was calling it to kill and then Whoa. she did the pounding to kill to them. kill them right because right. she knew it was done right like right. she's like i'm just gonna i'm gonna face it i'm gonna die like a friend i'm gonna in take the, them with yeah me. right yeah uh, and it's sort of a great, just a really great moment and a great hero well, moment for that character, yeah. which is, who's a very complex character in the novel. Mm -hmm. And they, they did a nice job at sort of portraying that. But uh, wow. yeah, just a great moment. And so when those hooks Cool, so out, you got really excited I was, when those uh, hooks came out. That's like one of those great moments where you're like, oh, yes, you're going to, are we going to see this? Does no, that character die right there in the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so we, we lose the character. Right. But just the opportunity to ride the worm would have been super cool. Yeah. And we will get, well, they gave there. it to, they gave you a little bit of it they at did. the end. Um, which I mean, I think, I think when Denny was like, okay, I got to make two parts of this book. Well, that means I have to make sure I tease enough of what's to come <laughs> that, that you, that you have to leave the theater demanding that Warner brothers release like the second part in the right. same way that they all wanted us to release the Snyder cut. Right. Um, let's talk about Warner Brothers really quickly. Um, I'm mad at them for releasing this on HBO Max because I think that is just, um, that is just a slap in the face for Denny. I think for a movie like this, like there's just, just don't do it. Like as you know, as much fun I'll have watching this the second time on HBO Max before it leaves in a month. You're doing a disservice to his, one his film, and uh, you're in a way I'm going to say disrespecting him and his talent, like. He didn't want it to be released on HBO Max. There was there was a lot of talk about that right mm -hmm. when when the pandemic was happening. Right, and uh, Chris Nolan was even uh, even more so outraged than Denny was in the sense that he's like, "Screw you, Warner Brothers! I'm going to another studio now." And uh, so he is, and I don't think that his next film is even releasing uh, with with Warner Brothers, and he's been doing Warner Brothers for like almost the entirety of his career, right. I think. Um, but you know, as great as streaming is, this movie deserves to be seen in theaters. 
Um, not just because it's epic on the grandest scale. Look, if you like Lord of the Rings and you didn't see Lord of the Rings in theaters and you have always dreamed of doing that, like this is the equivalent to that, right? right. Like in exactly. 10 years, you're like, dang, I wish I saw this in theaters mm -hmm. after the entire series is released. Right. Go see this in theaters. But go see it in theaters because Denny is this guy who, sure, he has a whatever $300 million movie budget, right? I don't know how much this movie cost. It wasn't cheap. And he's not just he's not just this guy who has this big movie budget. This this man will create a film that is great, whether it's three hundred million or it's you know sixty thousand, right? right? Like he's he's done the work. He's a great filmmaker. He's he he would do an. I wouldn't be surprised if he his next project was an indie film that's releasing on a twenty four, right? Like he can do he can go both ways. He's an auteur. He's great at what he does. And his work and all the other people's work in this film deserve to be seen in the theater, in the cinema. Right? Well, and supported, right? Because big screen films are made for this large immersive experience. Yeah. Like the Batman's going to be the same way. There's yes. plenty of films that can survive just fine yeah. on a, a small screen or a large, you know, HD 4K yeah. screen. Movies but like this, this is why, this is why theaters exist. Right, right. This is why theaters exist. Lord of the Rings is why theaters exist. Mm -hmm. Star Wars is why theaters exist. Um, something like, I mean, uh, something like Lamb, probably, which we didn't see yet. Probably not why theaters exist, but still worth seeing. Right. There's mostly, I, I mean, every time we go, there's normally like, we have this conversation, is this worth seeing in theaters? Is it not worth seeing in theaters? Is it worth seeing at home? 98% of the time, I feel like it's just worth seeing in theaters mm -hmm. just because it's a better experience unless it's Godzilla King of the Monsters which it, it can be ruined for you because of your audience but even that film I'd prefer to watch it on a big screen than at home on HBO yeah, Max yeah, yeah. right right because it's about scope and scale and we want to have those things it's yeah. part of what cinema is supposed to do for us and it doesn't mean that there aren't intimate films that can't be big screen films too like I think the French Dispatch which is about people right yeah. like it's about people yeah or even the still, farewell we saw the farewell right, right, in, right. in the theaters. farewell deserves to be in theaters but there's other things like whatever like the kitchen or whatever it is yeah. that end up not being made to a certain quality that can yeah. be seen on that smaller screen right but this but this beyond all of that to see the real scale of it because it's so big you need to be dwarfed by the image yeah in order to really encounter it so in order to feel like the stuff we're looking at is as big as it is you need to be small and, yeah. and so we were sitting in row B and looking up, <laughs> up. Yep. really looking up. Yeah. Everything was large. I felt small. It's, it is part of what the story's doing. And it's, I think yeah. that it's really a right choice. Yeah. Agreed. So, all right. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm, I'm good for now. I'm yeah. going to watch it on HBO. Maybe we'll talk again, but yeah, but yeah, this was great. Yeah, good. a really, really good night. So uh, you folks should go out and see it, schedule the time. Uh, if you want to do IMAX, it's well worth the Definitely experience. worth IMAX. Absolutely. Uh, but if not, just get to a theater and see this. And then if you want to watch it five more times on HBO, let them have the algorithmic boost yeah. to know that people care as well. Yeah, so that a part two can happen, 100%. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Racking Focus podcast. We'd love for you to join in on the conversation by leaving us a message at anchor.fm slash Podcast. 
The link is in the description of this episode. We'd love to feature you in the podcast and respond to your questions and thoughts in a future episode. And if you want to track all the films we watch and talk about, you can catch either of us at Letterboxd. Uh, you can find me there at John Doyle. And I'm at Josiah Blizzard. The links to our profiles are also in the description of this episode. We'd also love for you to leave us a review wherever you're listening. And we ask you to leave a five-star review because that helps people notice us. But you can leave whatever comment you want about us in the review. That way you can share your opinion and increase the conversation. Lastly, follow us on Instagram at Racking Focus Podcast, where we post screen grabs from some of our films we're watching and where we'll keep you updated on the episodes that are releasing week by week. If you are listening to an episode, we'd love for you to share a screenshot of that episode you're listening to and tag us in your story. Anything else to add, John? Nope, but I think Stephanie has something to say. Next, the guys will be watching and reviewing No Time to Die. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.